0: Hello, and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scots Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back, and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip, and he does. He scores. Oh, oh what, what a great backlash. Oh. He did it. Oh, boy, a Wiggling his way, and that's an excellent ball. It's a goal. for five Excellent play by Hughes. I think the square of the match, and
1: swiftly finished by Kennedy.
2: And this week we have a returning guest. Uh, it's Ali Begg, who is the author of Aberdeen European Nights. Welcome back, Ali. Thanks for having
0: me back on, chaps. It's a pleasure to be here. Ah, great to see you again, Ali. And how, how, how's things with yourself? How's the, the new relocation going on?
1: Absolutely fantastic, Andy. We've been here now a year, very settled. Kids are doing really well in school. And it was just the perfect remedy for us to move to just beside Salzburg, and, uh, yeah, just absolutely delighted to be here and enjoying our brand new life. And the world is our oyster at the moment. So very looking forward to to
0: potentially new projects and what could be just around the corner. Mm-hmm. So very happy, mate. Brilliant. So we're, we are going to be talking about your new book, um, Aberdeen European Nights. But before we get into that, you, you got back to watch a game recently for the first time in a while. Is that right? How was that? Yeah, so I, yeah, I took on a new role with
1: Bauer Media, and they got in touch with me actually about a year ago when I was still in Doha, and they put an idea to me about potentially being their new Aberdeen reporter, Aberdeen Football Club reporter, to work out of North Sound Radio, and it actually came at just the right time because. That's when I had just literally been told that I was being made redundant. So I was on gardening leave and waiting to make the move here to Austria. So when that email popped into my inbox, it really pricked my attention. And then I didn't hear from them again, despite two or three emails going back and forward. And then literally at the beginning of this season, they got back in touch with me and said, look, we see that you're now closer to home. This offer still stands. Would you be interested in, in joining us? and becoming the Aberdeen expert, let's say, and joining the lads on the big Saturday football show on Bauer Media, which goes right across their network on a Saturday afternoon. And I absolutely jumped at the chance, Andy, because I just thought I quite fancy getting back in in some capacity. It'd been a long time since I'd done any sort of presenting or reporting, and I quite fancied it again. So I jumped in with two feet, and I've been back at Pataudry twice now in the past six weeks. So I was home for the... The, what was it now, the St. Johnston defeat, the game that we lost 1-0 when Stevie May typically scored. Uh, That was not the best of afternoons. And then I was back for the Hibs game, where we, at long last, got a win after five games, uh, losing straight. So it was just really nice to be back. That also incorporated within the book launch as well while I was home. So it was just really good to be back at Patodry after what seemed like an age. Mm.
0: So how, how long was the gap? I mean, how long was the gap that you hadn't been? Uh two years. Two years, if
1: if not more. Yeah, the, mm. the last home game that I attended was when we beat Hearts three two when Ryan Hedges scored a last minute winner when we were at one point found ourselves two one down in the game, and that was the, the the reason that game really sticks in my memory is because it was the first time that I took my entire family right. to Pitodre and we almost sat in the identical seats that my father took me to me for me when i went to photography for the first time because I, I quite fancied being a little bit nostalgic that yeah, day yeah. so that's why it really sticks in the memory
0: brilliant so talk to us about the book Ab- aberdeen european nights i've got a, i've got a copy of it here and um firstly i'd, I'd like to thank you for the wee shout out and as well so oh, that, that was a proud thank moment thank you for your help it, no, was, no.
1: it really was uh fantastic to receive your help andy and uh, Thank you for your contribution and it was the least i could do was acknowledge your your contribution to the book and to my research so thank
0: you mate i really appreciate it. I've, I've got um up to what, what have i got up to copenhagen i think yeah the, okay so and, and i've absolutely loved it i think personally from my point of view i think the the stuff that came after that i probably don't connect with as as, as much the, the more recent stuff but that's mm. you know that's because I I live in the past as you know anyway, so the you know the early stuff um right up to late eighties and that I absolutely love everything about it um it's 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 brilliantly told I, I love the, the 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 bits where um you speak to players you speak to managers you speak to, you, you go to the opposition players as well which are in there and it just it really. Brings it to life for me, um, and there's 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 a few you know there's a few revelations actually as well, and a few you know nice wee funny bits, which we'll, we'll talk about um, as we go along here. So 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 talk to us about how 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 did this come about? What what was the, the thought behind this?
1: So about three years ago, I was approached by Peter Burns, who is the managing director of Polaris Publishing in Edinburgh, and we met for a coffee one afternoon when I was home and he basically told me that he was a big fan of my blogs and that he really enjoyed the read and potentially he saw a series of books to be made from the narratives and I have to be honest I at first was slightly hesitant because I wasn't sure whether using the blogs as a means to write a book was the right thing to do then I went away and I thought about it in more depth and it I confess it took me a while to really be comfortable with the idea and my wife actually sat me down one night and she said to me look your blog page is doing really well it's been very well received but it's a niche it's a niche market and your stories and the stories from these players that you talk to for your blogs actually deserve a bigger and better platform. And she said to me, when you hold a book, you know, you're you're holding you're physically holding something, you're turning pages. You might be getting ink on your hands and that smell of the paper on your hands. And it's it's something that everybody enjoys doing is actually holding a book. And she said to me, if, if you take up Peter's offer, you're going to be pulling at people's heartstrings here emotionally because they're going to go back to the old fashioned way of reading which is reading a book, because everything that I do is online. So you're scrolling through a page all the time. You're not physically turning and looking at pictures and putting it down in your coffee table or putting it down in your your side unit beside your bed before you go to sleep. And there was a sort of a romance in that for me. And in the end, when I got made redundant, I really wanted to focus on something. And it just so happened that Miriam persuaded me to, to go ahead and do it. And I did. And I called Peter and I said, look, I'm in. If the offer still stands, I'm in. So we had a number of meetings, Peter and I, and we came up with different ideas for what we could possibly make into books. And the one that really stood out for me was we had to do Gothenburg first, but I didn't just want to do a book about Gothenburg because it's been done before. So I thought, well, why don't we do the bigger picture here? And um, why don't we just do one in Aberdeen's most memorable European games? Because, believe it or not, there are quite a few. And I can really work in and around these stories. So Peter said, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. Because Gothenburg, of course, was our greatest night, our greatest victory. And let's use that as the catalyst to hopefully, maybe, have a series of books.
0: Yeah. So... I mean, what, what I spoke earlier on about um, revelations, and I'm i going to pick one out at the minute, and um, which was about Archie Knox, when he revealed mm-hmm. that he he would um, listen in on Bobby Robson's team talks. Was was this something that was generally known, or is that something that's just came out there? I did ask
1: Archie. I said to him, "Is it okay if if we put this out?" And he said, "Of course." So it's it's no secret. Um, he said you have absolutely nothing to worry about so and you have my permission so go ahead and put it out and do you know what was really interesting about that andy what what when he was talking about that i remember when i was working for satanta i was through at easter road and i was working that day on the celtic hibs game and celtic from memory were losing at half time and we were doing the show the next day so i was taking notes i, I used to really Get right into my research before the show on a, on a Monday, which was a very analytically based program. So I remember going through into what was a very small press area. And I was the only person in there at half time. And all of a sudden, I could hear Martin O'Neill's team talk at half time. And it was coming from, I think it was just one of the air vents or something like that and i just i just been stood and just kind of lifted my ear a little bit and i could hear his entire team talk at half time and at first i felt really uncomfortable because i felt i was sort of imposing on on something which is obviously very private but it was fascinating to hear martin absolutely losing the plot with with the players and the players having no fear in going back at him as well so I was fortunate to be in a position where I could listen to a team talk and it was just by pure chance. And honestly, when Archie's telling the story, I think there's a little bit of tongue in cheek to the way he tells the story as well, but he took a chance. And I think he did that as well. And it was almost, it was almost a a mirror effect of him listening in and then fast forward, you know, 35 years or so, and I'm listening in to to Martin and Neil's team talk.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So the story is very much tongue in cheek, but, when he was telling me it, I thought, I, I thought to myself, I wonder if, if this is, is okay to go out. And when I asked him for his permission, he said, absolutely, fire in. Yeah. But what I love about what Archie said, you know, um, it, one of his closing lines was, and that's why I always said I was an absolute tactical genius.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, the the first thing it made me think of was um, recently um, with the whole Leeds United thing with Bielsa. And, and he sent somebody to spy. What was it on? Um, was it Derby County? Yeah, I think so. And, and, and the whole furore that was up about that. I mean, I personally thought I didn't have really a problem with it. It's like, yeah, I just don't think it was as, as much of a problem as people were making out. And that that's what this reminded me of. How would people, how would the the SFA or the, the the Scottish Premier League or the game in general, how would they have reacted if they'd known at the time about that? But um, what I love mm-hmm. as well was he sort of alluded that maybe that wasn't the only time that he did it. Yeah. So, well, he just took a chance, didn't yeah. he?
1: So, um, And I think, you know, listen, the, there was no harm in what he did, I don't think. I think it was all um, he took a chance mm. and... Why not? If, if he could overhear some team talks and, and don't tell me that any other opposition manager or assistant manager wouldn't have done exactly the same if they had heard Archie's and Sir Alex Ferguson's team talk as well. I think they would have all done it if they'd yeah, taken a
0: chance. Absolutely, absolutely. So so the first, um, one of the things that I've um, picked out here was I think it's the first um, game that's talked about in the group, which was the Reykjavik. That, that mm. was the very first so th- this is from a shoot magazine it's actually from quite a few years later but so this little article here says the first side to score double figures in this competition was Ushpest Doza from Hungary when they beat the Maltese side Floriana 10-2. Uh, the first British club to do so was Aberdeen who beat Reykjavik 10-1 in the first round first leg at Pittodrie Stadium September 1967 and the scorers Monroe 3, Storey 2, Smith 2, McMillan 1, Peterson, Peterson and Taylor. So first um, go in Europe and they also make a bit of a record there as well. So yeah. so that that's did you start there or did you did you do it in chronological order or did you have any sort Yeah, of... so
1: so what I tried to do was I, I I picked I looked at a number of different games, but it was always my intent to do these games in chronological order. So start it from Reykjavik, and Reykjavik is the first chapter. I just felt it made more sense to do that and then just work my way through the years right up until today, I guess. Um, And I was hoping that my final chapter would be if Aberdeen had qualified for the Conference League. So we actually held off publishing the book to see if Aberdeen could actually make it into the Conference League because it would have been the first time that we would have qualified for any sort of group stage since the UEFA Cup group stage back in 2007, 2008. Sadly, it wasn't meant to be. So, um, so we 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 finished off the book with the Rieka game, but it just made perfect sense for me to work my way through the book in chronological order because also the stories fitted and the narrative fitted for me to do that. And I think if I had jumped back and forward, I think it might have confused the reader. So it it. it and I would like to think that was the the best decision, really, because I think the book flows quite well now. Hmm.
0: I think what, what, one of the things which I, I, I liked about it was you've not picked just games that Aberdeen win. You picked games that mean you know that actually um, have an effect or yeah. affect what comes yeah. afterwards. Um, so, what made you decide to to include those sort of games? Well, I just I just thought the Liverpool game was such a huge game in terms of the
1: impact that it had on Sir Alex Ferguson, because he was absolutely devastated after those defeats, particularly the game at Anfield when we lost so heavily. And the lessons that he learned from that night, he ensured would never ever happen again. And all it did was instill in him a determination, a work ethic, and preparation to make sure that what happened ahead of those Liverpool games would never, ever happen again. Because he said that everybody got distracted by this huge game, by this Battle of Britain, as it was called. And one man and his dog were talking about it. The tickets sold out within minutes of them going on sale. And there was such interest in the game that so Alex believes that it just became a bit of a circus and it took away the player's focus. So the biggest lesson that he learned from that was no more distractions ahead of big European games.
0: Mm.
1: So, and he used it as a driving tool because he was so determined never to suffer a defeat like that again on the European stage that it almost there was almost an animal inside him. It was like a wounded animal had come out of his belly yeah. and there was a fire inside him that made him even more determined to be successful. And look what happened only, what, two and a half, three years later. Hmm. He went in the cup Winners' his cup. Yeah.
0: Says it all. Well, I think just the season after, that's when they met Ipswich, wasn't it? And, that's right. And just what I've sc- put up on the screen here is just before those games. And... Just a couple of quotes I've picked out, which, you know, t- t- totally back up what you've just been saying. So, Fergie says, confidence here is sky high. We've learned a number of lessons from our experiences last season, and we won't make the same mistakes again. That's a promise, exclamation mark. And then he continues, I don't want to make excuses, but we went into that second game with a makeshift side. That's the Liverpool game. We are missing several several regulars, young Andy Dornan. Um, was pushed in for his debut, and we had to pull striker Drew Jarvie back. In the end, however, we were well beaten, and we could not argue with the results. Um, he says, "I'd love another crack at Liverpool now. I just know we'd make a game of it." It, it does. I mean, from these quotes and from the quotes, and but it just seems as if it was something that was like eating away at him, as you you know, as you suggested. It was maybe who knows. Maybe that's the sort of thing that drove him on, even. In the Manchester United years as well, you know, that rivalry with Liverpool, which is there naturally. Mm. But maybe Mm. this has just driven them on as well. Most definitely. I think, you know, that's that famous quote,
1: he wanted to knock Liverpool off their perch, didn't he? Mm. So maybe he used the experiences that he had at Aberdeen to help him along at Manchester United. And he certainly did knock them off their perch, didn't he? Yeah.
0: So just another wee thing I want to pick out from the book, and it, it wasn't a European adventure. I think it was a Bermudan-friendly, was it? With the, yeah, t- Tell yeah. us about the local Bobby.
1: Yeah, they were, uh, believe it or not, they were originally from Aberdeen. So Drew Javi told me that story because that chapter is, uh, it's called uh, Beyond the Iron Curtain, mm. or Behind the Iron Curtain and Beyond. And because there were two great stories from... Romania, and when the boys went to Poznan to play in the Cup Winners' Cup as well. And I just thought, if I can just take little snippets of some of the other experiences that the lads have had on their travels, then I thought I could just maybe incorporate some of those um, stories into that chapter as well. So Drew Jarvie tells me the story of when they went to Bermuda, they did a little bit of a world tour, and they stopped in Bermuda to have a couple of games and uh, the guys that they were looked after were two local Bobbies who so happened to be originally from Aberdeen yeah. and uh, were now
0: police officers in Bermuda. So it was actually two of them. Aye. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was only one. That two is even more madder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was brilliant, brilliant. Um, so while we're talking about, you know, sort of the, the Ipswich game, you, you spoke to Paul Mariner for the book. I
1: did, yeah, yeah. I did. Well, actually, I, I, I spoke to Paul uh about two years ago now 18 months ago so before sadly he got he he got sick and he died um which was a real tragedy um i i got very lucky that i was able to track him down and he was absolutely charming he really was and i spent a good hour with him this is when i was still living in doha and we we spoke over the phone i sent him the questions up front and his memory of both of those games is still was still very vivid so i was able to get some really good nuggets from from paul and i'm so grateful to him for being able to to take the contribution that he made to my blog and then place it in my book i actually uh, texted him uh, before he died a few months before he died and asked him if i could have his permission yeah to use our blog and he said absolutely no problem at all be an absolute pleasure so sadly i didn't speak to him again afterwards um then he died so i really wish that i'd been able to speak to him before he died to thank him again but his contribution to my book is you know, it's like what you said at the top Andy. it just contributes to the you know the interest it's not just about the Aberdeen players and the managers and the coaches and the backroom staff and the players—you know there's there's other people involved in this narrative as well—and I'm, and I'm hoping that by speaking to people like Paul Mariner and Johnny Metgood and these type of guys, that it, it will really prick the interest of many Aberdeen fans. Mm-hmm.
0: On to the the Bayern game, um, and it's hmm. there was a bit that you you spoke about, and and it brought me memories of when you were on the, the podcast where you spoke about your dad at that game, how it was the first time that you'd you'd actually seen him really celebrate or lose control a little bit?
1: Yeah, it was what the, the first time that I my first recollection of my dad really losing it was Hamburg in the, the Super Cup in the second leg at Pataudry when Mark McGee scored the second goal, absolutely went nuts. With that the game at Pataudry, he was still, you know, he was still punching, punching the air through and shouting and screaming. But my mum was beside us. So his celebration was a little bit muted, let's say. Because when we were at Padogee for the Super Cup, it was just me and him. Yeah. And he was going absolutely bananas. And I, I remember and I can still see it in, vividly in my mind that I put my own celebration on hold just to watch him. <laughs> because he was up, you know, he was he was up here. Yeah. My dad, you know, I was only 10. It was a 10, I was 10, so he still towered above me, and I can remember looking up, and he was just, yes, yes! Um, and at the Munich game, he was giving it that as well, but not so animated, because my mum was there, and he was kind of holding, I remember he was holding my mum with his left arm, sort of round her shoulder, and he was sort of doing this, punching through with his right arm, and I was pulling at his his jacket, his lapel, because when, when Alex McLeish scored the second goal at The away goal rule completely confused me as a 10-year-old. I had absolutely no idea what was going on. Were Were we winning? Were we losing? Were we going through? Were we going out? I just didn't understand. And then when John Hewitt scored 30 seconds later, I was even more confused. And I was pulling at him going, what's happened? What's happened? And he's going, we're winning, kiddo. We're winning. We're going through. And it's just something that I've never, ever forgotten. And to be honest with you, I don't think I ever will forget and uh, that night was particularly special because we were, we were sat just above the tunnel, just a little bit to the right, about three or four rows up from, from the tunnel entrance and about th- just a little bit to the right. So I could see up close and personal all the lads coming into the tunnel after their warm-ups and I could see them going back out and I can remember the Lap of Honour and I can remember Fergie running down the track at full time because the vantage point was just so... I felt so close, I could almost touch them, and again, that just added to what was probably the best night that I think I will ever have at Petardry. I don't mm. think I will have another night like that in my lifetime at Petardry ever again. It really was a one-off.
0: Brilliant. Reading through it, in fact, before I do that, there was actually something I was going to go to there. So this is before the Real Madrid game. I don't, mm. you might, I think you might probably have seen this one where Ferguson goes through the team and describes all the players and things like that. And I just wanted to pick out the John Hewitt, what he's written about John Hewitt. He said, he's had a nightmare season with injuries, but although he'd only started eight games by the time we played Watershay, is that right? Watershay. Watershay Watershay. in the semi-final. He'd also scored eight goals. When he was a schoolboy, I wanted him for St Mirren. And then when I moved to Aberdeen, I spent a lot of nights at his house before I finally persuaded him to join us. He's fast, brave and a good finisher. He stuck him on as a substitute in the last 10 minutes against Bayern Munich, and he hit the winning goal. What a player to have in reserve. Just that line there, that last line. Yeah. I mean, how, how yeah. prophetic was that right before the yeah. Real Madrid game?
1: Do you know, the, the mad thing about that, the Bayern Munich game, is that his wife said to him, I had a dream that you were going to score the winning goal against Bayern Munich. Hmm. And if you watch the footage, as he's running, after all the celebration and sort of calm down, and he's running back... For the restart, he looks up into the stands and he just blows a wee kiss. Yeah. Uh, and I asked him, I said, "Who are you blowing a kiss to?" And he said, "My wife." And he told me that story. And uh, you know, I was only with John a couple of weeks ago for the launch of my book, and it was fantastic to have five Gothenburg legends there. And I'm, I'm very lucky, that, and I I don't know why I've been so blessed, but these guys are all my pals. Yeah. And you know, I, I hadn't seen them for. A good two or three years now, and John came over and he, you know, he just grabbed me and he gave me a really tight hug and it was just really, really good to see him. As it was all the guys, but there's something, there's just something about when when you're holding John Hewitt, you know, it's like, <laughs> mate, I just love you, I just <laughs> love you, you know, for what you did, yeah. and it's just, uh it's he gets emotional every time he speaks about it, and. He really was a fantastic player, John. He, when you watch videos of him, and I, I've collected a few of his goals recently, and some of the goals he scored, dear me, he scored some absolute belters. And I think he was also quite underrated, John. Uh, there was a somebody at Parliament put a tweet out the other day asking for the most underrated players at Aberdeen, and there were guys like Bobby Connor and uh, Brian Grant, these type of guys, Billy Stark. And I was like, where's John Hewitt in that list? Because I think, you know, John's a legend. Of course he's a legend. And he always will be a legend. But I also thought he was he was slightly underrated as well. Oh, what a left foot he had on him. And what a diving header he had on him. <laughs>
0: and what a leap in celebration he had as well. <laughs> was, uh... <laughs> the worst celebration ever. Or the best. Yeah. I, I think, Ali, you, you could see that for a lot
2: of the Aberdeen players. We're such a great team. There's yeah. so many guys that maybe didn't get that sort of, international recognition or didn't he play as many games for Scotland as he should have. You look at guys like Doug Rugby, uh, Eric Black, and then you yeah. look at Peter Weir, he six yeah. Scotland caps. Peter the Weir, world. terrific player. I think yeah. for such a dominant team that Aberdeen were, it's remarkable that they didn't have, they formed basically the
1: nucleus of the Scotland team for a few years. Doug Rugby was capped once. John McMaster, who had the best left foot in the business, Never got a cap. Yeah. Scandalous.
2: Yeah, it's it's surprising considering how how strong Aberdeen were all through all through the team
0: in that year. Did Dougie Bell get any caps? It's a good show. I'm not 100 percent sure. See, the the reason I ask that question, something, as I was reading the book, I'm thinking, because do, Doogie Bell just kept coming up and coming up and coming up, and I'm thinking, was he an unsung hero? Did uh, you know? Was he given the credit? And then. The story which I loved about the the Votershai player in in the taxi, was it was yeah. that, that one? I loved that. Yeah. So to so tell us about that one, because that, that's that's a great little anecdote. So a, a, a friend of mine who
1: uh, he got in touch with me via my, my social media pages. He was a, a taxi driver in Aberdeen for many years, and he told me the story of picking up a guy that flew in. He was uh, he was working in the oil industry at the time. And uh, they just got chatting and it turned out that he used to play for watershy and he played against Aberdeen in the Cup Winners Cup semi-final. And the manager of watershy at the time had fairly done his due diligence on Aberdeen. And Lars Goodmanson, who was their centre forward, who also contributed to my book, he told, he told me that, you know, they, they did the homework. They were watched very carefully and they were well prepared for Aberdeen. They they knew what to expect, but what they weren't expecting was, and I quote, fucking Dougie Bell. <laughs> <laughs> I just
0: yeah, this, I loved um,
1: Dougie, Dougie came in and was absolutely sensational in the first leg Apitodry, ran the show and ran the poor Belgians ragged. They had never met a player like Dougie Bell, who was the type of guy who would pick a ball up and he would stick his chest out and his shoulders would go back and his chin would go up and he would just run at players directly. And they just couldn't cope with him. And it was Dougie who who set Pataudria alight that evening set up the first goal, was instrumental in the second goal and was just absolutely fabulous throughout. So they weren't ready for him, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. Not, listen, I, I, I hope you're, you don't mind me giving away all these little nuggets from the book. I mean, not people... at all, not at all. <laughs> in, w- in which case, um, let's talk about another Archie Knox story where he's um, going to spy on Real Madrid and he's yeah. sneaking into the ground and he gets chucked out and he has to sneak back in. Uh. <laughs>
1: that was so funny. When, I, when Archie was telling me that story, honestly, I had tears coming down my face. It was so funny. That in the end they they mistook him for Billy McNeil. They thought, <laughs> you know, Real Madrid thought Billy McNeil was coming and not yeah. Archie Knox. No, I beg your pardon, Valencia thought Billy McNeil was coming and not Archie Knox. And the just the sequence of events of him trying to get into this, this game to to watch Real Madrid ahead of the Cup Winners' Cup final and just all the stories that go with it of, of not having tickets, trying to get tickets. Um, trying to get on the team bus, missing the team bus, trying to organise a taxi to the stadium. And then the taxi got stuck in traffic and he had to, to tail it on foot up to the stadium, having to to speak to police officers, explain who he was, show um, uh, his passport, all this kind of stuff. And a policeman eventually took pity on him and sort of sneaked him into the ground and he, he managed to make his way up into the terracing and was able to watch some of the game. He also watched Real Madrid a few times on Spanish television. He was able to sort of collect notes by watching them on Spanish television as well. So Archie really did his homework, as he did on all of our European opponents. And I was really lucky to be able to get my hands on some of the dossiers that he wrote up. Uh, Him and Sir Alex wrote up about players from Bayern Munich, players from Watershine. So for me, those were real nuggets, which I was
0: able to add to the book. I was I was going to I was going to talk about that because if nothing else, just those dossiers and the information is worth it for the book because the detail that it goes into and the the insight and the thought mm. is absolutely you know because I mean I I like to watch the game I like to follow the game but when I read it, those sort of things it, it then makes you think Christ I, I don't pay enough ten- attention or it doesn't. I don't see what they see because I'm sure a lot of the games, they wouldn't have had um, recordings over that. So this would have been notes they would have taken at the time. And it's yeah. absolutely fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, for me, it was when I, it, the dossiers are, are readily available online, right. Um, but you, you've got to, you know, you've got to really work hard to find them. And I, I, I had to work hard to find them. And, I also was very lucky that Neil Simpson provided me with a couple of the dossiers as well. So he, he said to me, like, you can have my permission to use them, absolutely no problem at all. And sadly, he he couldn't find the ones that they got on Real Madrid. And I asked a few of the players if they'd still got them and none of them had, which was a real shame. So the dossiers from Real Madrid, unfortunately, don't appear to exist anymore. Right. What I got from Bayern Munich and what I got from Watershine, I used as part of those chapters to make the reader understand how Sir Alex Ferguson and how Archie Knox prepared the team for those huge games. And uh, when you read them and they pick out each individual player, their strengths, their weaknesses, what to work on, and the way that they play as a team, the way that they play as a unit. And they went to watch them against specific teams like Bayern Munich. They went to watch them in the German Bundesliga and wrote down their style of play, how they played in the first 20 minutes, how how they changed their system slightly, how Paul Breitner was very much um, the mainstay of their side and how to, to be careful of Karl Heinz Rumanager. And it was just fascinating for me. And I was able to, it, it was almost like a jigsaw puzzle, Andy, and I was like, to take pieces of that jigsaw puzzle and just try and put it together hmm. in the book to try and make it all make sense and...
0: Oh, to Christ, I've able to do it. <laughs> yeah. No, listen. The the dossier stuff really that the inclusion of that really lifts it up for me because it's, you just see it's 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 not just a a, a second hand or a third hand story. This is the information that they had at the call. You know, yeah. I, I'm assuming did the players get a copy of each? year? That's why yes. you're saying they had their own yeah. copy of it. Yeah. Um, That's right. But yeah, I mean, it, just looking on the screen looking at the Ferguson's detail about his players and some of it's sort of you know light-hearted and stuff like that but it just shows you it shows you that there was a reason why he was so successful and and, you know having the likes of Archie Knox with him as well it's because he thought that deep about the game he put that much effort into the game Um, and absolutely fascinating absolutely Mm -hmm. fascinating so let's just look on a couple of so here's the one which you've seen a million times this is this is the the big one, the victory over Real Madrid, um, which I, I can only imagine that, that gives you goosebumps every time you see it, and I can look at your face right now and just a smile <laughs> on it. So honestly, I, I don't know what it is, but, and, and I swear
1: to you on my children's lives, whenever I watch John Hewitt's winner against Real Madrid, I get goosebumps. Hmm. It happens every single time without fail. And when I hear the late Ian St. John scream in the court commentary. You can hear that.
2: Yes! Yeah,
1: it it just adds so much depth to that moment. It's, apart from getting married and having my children, that goal, (laughs) bottom right, is the best moment of my life.
2: Because yeah. that's the thing, Ali, what I remember about that time, is the whole of the country were, were behind uh, yeah. Aberdeen. Yeah. yeah. Everybody was, wanting, everybody was wanting Aberdeen to win that, that final. Everybody in, in Scotland, as far as I'm aware, were wanting Aberdeen to win that final.
1: It's funny, Tom, I, I've spoken to so many people from so many different backgrounds and teams that they support, and they've all told me exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, they desperately wanted Aberdeen to win that night.
2: Yeah, it was a big night, oh, especially awesome. maybe with people from, from my dad's era who were a Celtic supporter, you know, mm. and watched Celtic win the European Cup. And I guess Rangers fans watched mm. Rangers win the Cup, Winners' Cup kind of thing. Here it was coming again, a Scottish mm. team going in Europe, and especially with been being Real Madrid. Yeah. The thing about it is now, you're at it now, it's not like a European final. It's, you know, it's a horrible wet night. It looks dark. There's, there's empty terracing. It's just not like you see a European final now.
1: Yeah, it's it, oh yeah, it's so different now. It's it's a pantomime now, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know, cup finals these days are events, and I think that takes something away from the actual football match itself. Because I remember Gothenburg like yesterday. I remember. I can still remember when the rain first started. I remember we had to take shelter in a shopping centre because it was coming down that hard. I remember all the Aberdeen fans congregating in uh, in another shopping centre because we went from one to another and the atmosphere in there was absolutely phenomenal. It was just an unbelievable noise of, here we go, here we go, here we go. And just the the colours and the smells and everything about it was is so memorable for me as a just a a, a wee glary eyed ten year old. And I remember going back to the little hotel that we were staying in, and we, there were let me get this right: there was my mum, my dad, my best pal Ewan, there was Bill, and he, our bank manager. So there were five of us in the party. And we all stayed in one tiny little single bedroom room because there was a mix-up with the bookings. So the hotel manager, thankfully, was able to find us at least a room where we could get our heads down and just get comfortable. And I remember leaving for the stadium in a bus that my dad had hired. And the rain was just like rain I've never seen before. And all the talk was whether the game was going to be on or whether the game was going to get called off. And I remember we got to the ground about 15 minutes before kickoff and it was busy outside. I remember that. And I remember getting in and I remember the first vantage point that my dad put us in was directly behind the Aberdeen fans who were on the upper tier. So we were in the lower tier where the benches were and all the Aberdeen fans were above us. I couldn't see. There There was some fans stood in front of us. And I couldn't see anything at all. So when Eric Black hit the bar with a scissors kick, I I, I only saw the ball coming off the bar. I didn't actually see Eric Black doing the scissor kick. So I remember saying to my dad, I can't see, I can't see. And I remember getting really, I remember feeling quite angry about it that I couldn't see. So my dad eventually took a hold of us and he moved us a little bit further down and a little bit to the right. So we were now literally right in the middle behind the Aberdeen fans and a little bit further down so when John Hewitt scored that goal, we were almost in line with that byline, if that makes sense, yeah? Mm. Um, so that's where we were for the for the whole game. So we were totally exposed to the elements, and we got absolutely drenched. We really did, and it was cold, and it was miserable, and my mum encouraged my best pal, Ewan, and I to just stamp our feet clap our hands, sing the songs, and just try and keep warm the whole time. And eventually she disappeared and came back. And now in that picture, John Hewitt scores the winner. If you look behind in the crowd, you can see some guys dressed in yellow,
0: Hmm.
1: right? And if you look just above the four or five guys that are dressed in yellow, you can see another sort of shadow of yellow. Those were Rainmax. My mum went away and bought five rain mags for us to all wear during the game. And honestly, it was like someone had put a marquee on me. This thing was enormous. <laughs> but it kept me warm and it kept me dry. And that's when I really started to come into my element because that's when I, I really started to enjoy the game because I wasn't feeling as cold or as miserable. Yeah. But you're right, Tom, I remember coming out and seeing the opposite side almost completely empty, the side where the the teams came out of the tunnel, it just appeared completely empty. And I remember looking over to my left, because I could hear Manuel, the drummer, the famous Real Madrid and Spanish drummer, his name was Manuel. I remember looking over and thinking, where were the Real Madrid fans? There there were hardly any Real Madrid fans there at all. And I said to dad, "Where, where were the Real Madrid fans? And he, he, I think he was just as baffled. I, the, the, there must have been less than 3,000 Real Madrid fans there that night. And they were just sort of over to the left-hand side um, as the stadium sort of goes round. And then this whole part, with just a few people scattered about left, right and centre. But it was, it was a real shame that the, the television pictures weren't on the opposite side. Because mm. if it had been on the opposite side, you would have just seen this sea of red and white colour which would have really lifted it as a spectacle, I guess. Um, so I have, yeah, it's it, it's kind of a shame. But to be honest with you, for me, it adds it, the whole the whole yeah. atmosphere and the way it was and the rain and everything just added to the romance of that evening.
0: It's it's a bit. I'm a bit surprised about the lack of Real Madrid supporters. Consider and you wouldn't. You, God forbid this for Real Madrid. This would happen nowadays, but they hadn't won anything. For, for years, had they? I mean,
2: no, They lost to Liverpool in 81, the European Cup final, but I don't think they've won anything since, since the glory days. Was
0: it 15, 16 years or something like that? Yeah. They hadn't won anything in this. They're in a final.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so that that's just absolutely incredible that, that, that there was so few there. I mean, maybe the weather, but you think... You wouldn't have known about the weather when you set off, would you? Have? So that if once no, you're no there, chance, you can still go. Listen, it only started raining on... The afternoon, only
1: about five or six hours before kickoff, because the boys had a light training session at the stadium in the morning and it wasn't raining then. And that's when they all went back to the Farzat hotel and uh for their afternoon nap or you know to relax or whatever the guys did before game before the game. And that was only when the rain really started. So nobody could have predicted the rain.
0: And I'm not sure if it was in, the, you know, I'm not sure if it was in the book. You can let me know or if I've read it somewhere else. But they they lost everything that year, didn't they? They lost in the last game of the season for the league. They lost the, the super cup. Yeah. They lost the yeah. the cup. They lost absolutely yeah.
1: everything. Yes, yeah, so when I because I, I was very lucky to have spoken to Johnny Metgood, who was in the centre of defence, played as a sweeper for Real Madrid, and I was able to track Johnny down to Dubai. And he gave up an hour of his time to talk to me about the game for the book. And John was utterly charming. Mm. He was such a nice guy. And again, the memory of the game is very vivid in his mind. And he was able to bring it to life for me from a Real Madrid's perspective. Because I've, I've, I've tried desperately hard over the past few years to speak to somebody from Real Madrid and uh, just not being able to get a hold of anybody. Yeah. And when and when, when I have been able to get a hold of people, the, that request has fallen on deaf ears. But when Johnny said he would speak to me, you have no idea the excitement I felt when that message popped on my phone and said, of course, Ali, I'll be delighted to speak to you. And he was brilliant. And it was Johnny. So you might have read it from, from yeah, Johnny I where think, they lost yeah. every single major cup final and the league. That year, so that was a particularly difficult yeah. year for Real Madrid. But, but what what he told me was fascinating stuff.
0: Sounds like the hearts of Spain that season. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> and and on the final um again, Gordon Strachan's always good for for, for a bit of amusement or a bit. Yeah, he yeah. says that he he's only watched it a second time relatively recently.
1: Honestly. When Gordon became the manager of Celtic, I was absolutely made up because I, he was one of my heroes, now the manager of Celtic Football Club, when I was working for Satanta. And I remember trying to break the ice with him in our first ever interview in a small meeting room round the back offices at Celtic Park. And I tried to engage him in chat with Aberdeen. And I could tell straight away that there wasn't really any interest there to talk to me about it. And I wonder if my tactic was a little bit too early in the day to talk about Aberdeen when he's just been appointed the <laughs> new Celtic manager. Um, but eventually when Gordon and I got to know each other and he, he, could, he could see that he could trust me and I had absolutely no agenda at all, he eventually started opening up to me about the his time at Aberdeen and said to me that he had only seen, he's only watched the game back once. And it was on a day off. It was a, I think he said it was a rainy day. Didn't have much to do. And he just decided to stick it on and have a look. And the first thing he did was call Big Alec, Big Alex McLeish, and say to him, do you know what? We're not a bad side, were we? And to get that sort of stuff from Gordon, again, it's very special. And because Gordon was absolutely magnificent for Aberdeen. He was instrumental in so many of our amazing victories against Ipswich, against Bayern Munich, against Real Madrid. And to get his thoughts on these big games as well, again, was very special for me.
0: Was there any games that you maybe wanted to include, um, but just couldn't, or anything about any of the games that you did include that you struggled to get information about or struggled to get what you wanted for?
1: Um. I was hoping to get more from Bayern Munich, the 1983 team. So I put in a couple of requests to speak to Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, but unfortunately that fell on deaf ears. I put in a request to speak to Uli Hoeneß, but again, uh, the request was not back. I tried a couple of other avenues, but just didn't have any luck. Tried to track a couple of players down, but really didn't have any luck. Trying to get a hold of any Bayern Munich players from that era, so I was really quite disappointed that I wasn't able to get them. Um, but you know, that's just the nature of the beast. Sometimes you have a little bit of luck, and sometimes you don't. And uh, it's difficult though
2: when you're asking them to speak about a defeat as as well. You know, maybe you know something of Russian. Yeah, a Russian-y.
1: yeah so I, I've I forgotten about it kind of thing. Yeah, I, I actually I, I did wonder that, I, and I did try to explain why i wanted to speak to them in my initial yeah, not in Legend, but yeah exactly it was like look guys i'm not wanting to stick the knife in the ribs here but um, this is what i'm doing um and i would like to come at it from a certain angle and uh you know there's no mickey taking i'm not looking to make fun of you or anything like that i'm this is a serious book and it's um it's got serious connotations here and i want people to understand more from Aberdeen's Opponent's perspective on these games, and I tried to convey that in my my requests to these guys, but unfortunately, they they decided against it, which is absolutely fine. I have no issues with that whatsoever. It's disappointing, obviously, yeah. but I completely respect the decisions and have no issues with it whatsoever.
0: Mm. So, from doing the book and speaking to everybody, what would for yourself? What was the biggest revelations? The biggest surprises that you found out? you didn't know about before.
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, that is a good question. I think I didn't know much about the T earn incident in Romania. And I, I knew there was an incident, and I knew that there was a there was some hairdryer treatment going on at halftime, and I, it's been documented before. And I picked up on, on on bits and pieces of it. But when I spoke to Neil Simpson and Walker McCall, they were really able to tell me in much more detail about that. And now you know, we can use it to, to have a laugh and to tell the, the story in a sort of a humorous way. But back then, I, I guess it wasn't very pretty to have been in that dressing room mm. at halftime. So to, to put the story into context, Aberdeen were winning 3-0 from the first leg against Arjes Potesta in the 1981 in, in the UEFA Cup. And we were 2-0 down at half time in Romania. And this is when Sir Alex Ferguson swiped a, a tee arm with his right forearm, not knowing that this thing was cast iron and full of boiling hot water. And when he smashed it, this thing didn't budge an inch. <laughs> so apparently he really hurt himself, which just enraged him even more. And he was going around the players, berating them, and he, he got to Gordon... And he said something to Gordon and Gordon in his ways just came back with a cheeky remark and he swiped all the freshly made tea straight off what was, you know, the old physio's bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swiped them all off in a, in a fit of rage and tea went all over Willie Miller's brand new suit and Willie said, I'm going to send you the, the dry cleaning bill for that boss, <laughs> which yeah. enraged him even more. Yeah. So, But listen, whatever he said, it obviously had the desired effect because the team went out and they clawed back the two-goal deficit to eventually went to, to eventually draw the game 2-2 two, two and then go through and aggregate. But what, what I found particularly humorous about that story was Walker McCall went for a pee straight after Fergie sent them all out because he was an unused substitute that day. And he overheard Archie saying to Sir Alex, I think you're a wee bit tough on the boys there, And then Sir Alex explaining to Archie why he lost the plot in the manner that he had, um, because he just, he knew that they could do so much better and he was disappointed in them and he wanted them to know how disappointed he was. And Walker said he finished his pee and he would not budge an inch. He said he was too afraid to go to the toilet. A grown man. And he said, honestly, he said, I was like a wee kid. (laughs) So like the headmaster had just told us all off, he said I was petrified, I didn't dare move. And eventually I got to the dugout and Fergie barked at me, where have you been? He said, oh, boss. He said, I went look for the toilet, got completely lost and ended up at the other end of
0: the stadium. The next one here that I've got is uh, the Hamburg game. Nice. They expected a trophy rather than a, what's the word? A plaque. A plaque. I'd I'd never, I'd never noticed it was just a plaque until I'd read the book. Um, yeah. And then it was like, oh, yeah, so it was. Um, yeah. it, it's, it, it doesn't, it's not the same, is it? it? No, and, and I think that,
1: I don't, I don't know why, but it, it kind of took the shine off the gloss slightly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because if they were handed a trophy and they had to walk up the, the little steps at Poutaudry and just like what they did at the Driver Cup final back in 1971, I think it was, Um, if they'd done it that way, so the whole stadium could see them lifting a trophy, I think it would have added much more to the occasion. But the fact that they were just presented with a plaque on the field of play where nobody actually knew what was going on and everybody was a little bit confused, I think took a little bit of gloss
0: off it. But still, it's the Super Cup. Well, yeah. The thing is... it actually looks like a med. You know, you can get the small the medals that are on a plaque mm, thing. Small, mm. so they're probably thinking oh, these medals are pretty big.
1: Well, you know? if you, it, funnily enough, you say that Andy because the Cup Winners' Cup final winning medal is exactly that. Right. That's exactly what it is. Obviously, in bigger version.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's have a look what else I've got here. So, so this is after all this. Um, Alex Ferguson, is he satisfied? Shoot Magazine asking, he says, it's a nice feeling and we're getting a lot of praise, but the European Cup has got to be our ultimate aim. We're getting tribute from all quarters, which we deserve, but we must keep on progressing. No one here will rest on his laurels. That's not our style. Um, And there's a little story, which I think is mentioned in the book as well, about Peter Weir, his wife gave birth to their second child during the game. And Peter says, I could hardly believe it. What a night. The memory will live with me forever. I'm told the actual birth was around the time Neil Simpson scored the first goal. That's got to be one for the record books.
1: He was actually told by a guy called Ian Taggart, who was the secretary of the football club. And he came onto the pitch while the boys were doing their lap of honour and told him and that was that was when he found out while the boys were doing the lap of honor
0: right
1: that his well, wife had given birth
0: see yeah. i wasn't sure because i think in the book it says he just said to him congratulations but yeah. did, he, did he say on the birth of your child or did he just say congratulations but no
1: he he, he told him that right. his wife had given
0: birth yeah. <laughs> what, a way to, what a way to find out eh? i know
1: right because yeah. people, people went straight from obviously he went straight from the the ground
0: straight up to the to the hospital. Yeah, well you'd hope so really, wouldn't you? I mean <laughs> I would think so. yeah. <laughs> um, so that this one, um this is European Cup winners' cup holders Aberdeen going to the first leg of the quarter final tie. So this is the next season against U Upes Dosa, knowing just how dangerous the Hungarians are at home. And Alex McLeish says, I saw a video of the game against Cologne, the West Germany, and they destroyed them three one. They looked impressive. And he says I haven't played against Hungarian club side, although I did visit Budapest with Scotland once. But well, that counts, doesn't it? Um, it's a beautiful place and not as dour as most Iron Curtain countries. We're all looking forward to the trip. There was a you, you spoke about this. There, there was a, a a full chapter on, on behind the Iron Curtain, which was was quite eye opening as well. So that that was really interesting to read about that. He says, after that impressive performance in the first leg against Cologne, they nearly lost the tie in the return. In the end, they had to be happy with goals going through on away goals. With going through on away goals. So that this article has Dundee United on one side, Aberdeen on the other. And I guess going back to what you said, Tom, I think even at that point, Scottish football wanted Dundee United to do well. They wanted Aberdeen to do well. The, the, I, I remember at the time it was, there was just a case of you want all the scottish teams to do well and unfortunately you know for 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 too many reasons to count that that's no longer the case but back then you know there was there was rivalry in the scottish game but as soon as it went to europe and there's always going to be exceptions but my my memory my recollection is that scottish football supported the scottish teams back then
1: yeah it's my memory as well got to be yeah.
0: honest yeah I mean Dundee United and Aberdeen. I think it's fair to say they dominated that early part of the the decade, but still, taking Rangers were still strong. So it was a very strong Scottish uh, game at that point.
2: I think as well because you your TV coverage and you get live TV coverage of these games as as well. Because obviously in this in the sixties, late sixties, Scottish clubs were, were dominant. There was Kilmarnock like, the and the and Dundee, and all that as well, getting going far in European competition. But in this era. Games were on live. You were getting Aberdeen's games live, Dundee United's uh, European games live. And because you get so starved for live football as well, uh, you know in that era as well, Like everybody was like, oh, there's a, there's, we're getting that game live kind of thing. And, and you were sort of fully invested. You were fully invested in these teams winning because you were going to get the next round live. You were going to get the next game live, the second leg live as well. So I think Scottish football fans were invested in Aberdeen and Dundee United uh, going far in, in Europe. Everyone about that time
0: So the more recent games Ally. what hmm. what for you of the the sort of 2000s onwards has been the, the greatest of the, the Aberdeen European performances
1: I, I had to put Grunigan in there and I had to put Rieke in there because on the night there were significant victories for Aberdeen and there was a big gap in regards to to finishing off one chapter and then heading into the Dnipro game, which was basically Upesh Doza all the way through to Dnipro, which was many, many years. And a friend of mine actually said to me, look, I think you need to fill that gap. Now you don't have to write chapters about certain games, but if you can find a pattern to why we didn't qualify again for group stages or get past the first round of any European competition, see if you can find a a story. And that's exactly what happened between, right at the beginning of the book, so there was a big time gap between Reykjavik and Austria-Memphis, so from 1967 all the way through to 1980. And we played some really big games in the 1970s. But I thought, if I get wrapped up in all of these games all of a sudden, I'm going to have an encyclopedia here, not just a book. And I wanted to keep it short and punchy and snappy. I didn't want the reader to get too lost. So I called upon the memory of Bobby Clark, who has the most astonishing memory for real fine details. And Bobby and I recollected the 1970s and the big games that Aberdeen played in the 70s, your horn vents and your Petruna Düsseldorf and your Munching Gladbachs and your Juventuses and these type of games and just take little lines from each game and just memories of Bobby and just chuck them in here and there. And we found a nice little pattern. Aberdeen, after Reykjavik, didn't really get past the first round up until Austria-Memphis. So there was a pattern. And then fast forward to the mid-90s and the sorry, the the, the mid-80s the mid and the 2000s, again, we didn't get past the first round in any European competition. So I called upon the memory of Stuart McKinney, who played in the majority of these games and asked him very much what I asked Bobby. Why did we not get through? What was the issue here? What was the issue there? And we just went through not every single game, but a game here and there, just games to evoke the memory. And all it was was a sentence. That's all we did. And for me, it just filled a nice little gap. And it meant that I was able to keep the book flowing nicely in chronological order. And eventually I was able to get us to the the Dnipro game, which obviously led us to the UEFA Cup group stage in season 2007-2008. Now, by that time, I was getting on. My memories as a, a child had were... Well, not fading, but were getting further and further away from me. And before I knew it, there was a new generation of Aberdeen fan. And I felt that these fans deserved their place in the book. Hmm. And the players that played in these games deserved a mention in the book as well. And I've been very lucky to have called upon current players, Andrew Conson and Niall McGinn, who were who played in Grunegin and Ecker and are still part of the first team squad now, and call upon them to describe these games and really get it from inside the dressing room in comparison to how your Willie Millers and your Neil Simpson and John Hewitts and your Gordon Strachan's prepared for their big European games. And I found that also really quite fascinating. And what I particularly enjoyed was talking to Tony Doherty, the Doc, who is Derek McInnes' assistant manager. And the doc was absolutely magnificent. He gave me over an hour's worth of content from a book where he talked about the preparation from their side going into the games against again and going into the games against Rijeka. So now I'm getting it from the coaching point of view, which again, for me, just added to the depth of the, the stories. And... They deserved their place, I believe, in the book because they were magnificent and significant victories for us in a time when European football, for some, is becoming a little bit laborious and a little bit boring. And I just felt they deserved their place.
0: Okay, great stuff. Let's talk about where people can buy the book. So where's the best place to get this?
1: So the best place is through my own publisher, Polaris Publishers. You can get it on their website. You can then get it from the Pataudry shop as mm-hmm. well. So if you're passing Pataudry, you can get it in the shop and then you can get it on the usual um, online platforms, Amazon, Waterstones, these type of guys as well. So that's, that's where you can get a book, mate.
0: So is there going to be a, an audio book? Do
1: you know You're not, you're not actually the first person to have asked me that. And we did think about it and i got to be honest, I'm still kind of undecided about it because to do an audiobook actually takes a lot of effort and it, mm. it takes a lot of time. And it's something I'm still very much considering. But at the moment, we've just put it on the back burner. If if I find that my time is a little bit more invested in it, then we will seriously consider it. But at the moment, it's it's not a no, mm-hmm. but it's not a yes. It's, not my, it's, it's one of those questions that I used to ask your dad, Dad, can we go to the football tonight? And he would always say, we'll see. So it wasn't quite a yes, it wasn't quite a no. Yeah. So, to answer your question, we'll
0: see. <laughs> Beautifully done. So let, let's let's um, talk about a volume two, and not necessarily a European thing, but um, you know, there's there's enough there for Aberdeen surely to do. Yeah. Group. So I, I've also been thinking about right. What should we do
1: next? Now we've we've got we've won the league a few times, handful of times. Won a Scottish Cup, a handful of times. Won the League Cup, a handful of times. So, can we make that into a book? I don't think winning the league titles as little as we've as we've had is enough to sustain a book. Maybe a pamphlet, but not a book. <laughs> so, the Scottish Cup stories are really interesting. I think we could get something out of the Scottish Cup and the the league cups mm-hmm. because there's there's really interesting stories to them which I'm currently looking at. But the the next the next book will not be out for a while yet. it's still very much in the planning stage, still yeah. very much at the talking stage and uh we're still very much chewing the fat over that and bouncing ideas off each other. Because the next book, you know, is it, it it's like I go back to my old Boy, band days, Andy, you know, the, the, the next book's got to be better than the first book for, for people to really jump on the bandwagon here. Yeah. I made that horrible mistake back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So um, one of the things I'm looking forward to, um, because I'm fascinated by what I've read about you, you're doing a blog with uh, Martin Bucking. Um, yeah,
1: I'm yeah.
0: literally translating that now. Right. So I spoke to Martin Friday afternoon,
1: and oh man, he was absolutely brilliant. So I spoke to him for an hour and he was just sensational. Mm. So, so interesting. Martin is... Actually, I've met Martin twice when I was working at MUTV. Met him at Old Trafford. And he he came over and we were chatting away and talking about the Dons and living in Aberdeen and growing up in Aberdeen. And then I completely... I just lost contact with him. I'd not spoken to him for many, many years, and I had no idea how to get to him. And eventually, through the former Players Association at Manchester United, I was able to to get a hold of the guy that runs it, and I I, I dropped Les a a wee note, and he said, look, Ali, leave it with me. He says, "I'll, I'll send him your email, and let's see what happens. And within a couple of days, Les came back and said, right, Martin's in. And you'd uh, love to hear from me. he's really looking forward to speaking to you. Here's his number. Here's his email. Fire in. Yeah. Like, honestly, it was like a wee kid that morning.
0: Mm. <laughs> so he was absolutely brilliant. He really was. So I'm hoping to get that out before the weekend. Because mm. some of the the articles that I've read, I mean, there's, there's been um, there's been like entire series in shoot magazines, you know, over three four weeks, and um, he always comes across as somebody who. Wasn't afraid to mix it, and I don't mean in from a football sense. I mean, you know, it's like if if, was, if he thought something was wrong, he, he wouldn't be quiet about things. He wasn't; he never didn't seem to be quiet, and that's how it came across. So I don't know if that um the sort of things you speak about, but um yeah, uh, really fascinating. I'm looking forward to that. Listen, Alec, it's been an absolute pleasure and um, speaking to you oh, again, Andy. catching up nice, with Tom. you. I will need to at some point. I'll need to get this signed from you, so. We'll we'll get um, that arranged somehow. Yeah, uh, Tom, do you have any any questions for Anley? I think you covered a, a lot of what I was gonna. But uh, I was gonna ask about it, one thing that
2: I, I noted reading up on Aberdeen in Europe. Aberdeen took part in the first penalty shootout in European competition. Gets hundred. Yeah. Got knocked out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's why I didn't mention that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But no, I don't. I don't think so. We covered the Ipswich, the Switch game, which I, I think was a kind of the uh, sort of sign right. that Aberdeen kind of had arrived. Yeah, um, that
1: was the catalyst for many
2: people. Like uh, and I'd watch the, the highlights on YouTube uh, of that um, when you you can see what uh, what great play. I mean, looking at uh, what a great Ipswich team as well. There, sort yeah. of, uh, you know, Eric Gates was getting kind of shackled with Stuart Kennedy and the. Uh, things like that and Strachan was running them all. and yeah you could you could you could see that you know but a good Ipswich team were getting run ragged by that Aberdeen side.
1: A big shock a big shock but not to Sir Alex and that was the most important thing. It's yeah. not a shock to him but to the rest of the country it was. I think it just just shows the mentality of Sir Alex, doesn't
0: it? Mm. I, I mean I, I was starting to watch the the full Real Madrid game again and I think what a lot of people especially Maybe even people of our generation will sort of forget about it, but certainly the younger generation don't know just how good those teams were. Because yeah. Aberdeen were... I, I thought they were playing better to the conditions than Real Madrid. Certainly, you know, certainly for the first 25 minutes, 30 minutes that I saw it, you know, it was like, Real Madrid aren't the same team that they are now, but Aberdeen just were, were pretty much in control of that. They They were... They were a bit, you know, there was more bite in the challenge, but it, there wasn't nasty challenges or anything like that. There was, was strong challenges, won the ball, and then they actually they got the ball off the ground rather than try to play it because mm. it was so wet. Other than Alex McCleish, obviously, it's it's funny that you mention that because I remember watching it as
1: an adult, and I hadn't, I hadn't like like what Gordon was talking about that he hadn't watched the game for many many years, and I was I was the same. I think the first time I watched the full game back was when it came out on DVD for the 25th anniversary. Now, in two years, it will be the 40th anniversary. So that's how long ago it was, and this was obviously long before YouTube, and you could get. I, I don't. I don't even recall if it, if the game was if it ever came out on VHS. I can't recall that at all because I'm sure my dad would have bought me a a, a VHS copy of that game. So I could be wrong, but I'm convinced there was never a VHS copy of the game. So the first time... That's a
2: memory of VHS era is they would put out highlights, I think. Yeah, right. But I don't think they would ever put out the full match.
1: Yeah, there was like... I remember getting a VHS, it was called... Glory of Gothenburg, and that was that was just obviously tracking the the story of us winning the Cup Winners Cup, but not the not the full game. So when I watched it back as an adult, to what I remembered as a ten year old, it was like I was watching two completely different games, and I was actually quite surprised how much we battled Real Madrid that night and the amount of chances that we created to win the game in the ninety minutes. And it's amazing how how you're perception of games changes from childhood into adulthood so yeah, you're absolutely right Andy it's, uh, people should watch it back because you'd absolutely knock them off the park that night
0: Yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll certainly finish watching it and it, it reminds me of the first time that I saw the full Celtic uh, and Milan game as well just mm. how Celtic I would love to see possession stats and things like that but Celtic absolutely dominated yeah. that game, it was yeah. You know the difference between the two teams was was I I didn't realise there was that much of a a gap in terms of the quality. Okay, listen, um, Polaris public Polaris um publication publishers, publishers. publishers. Yeah. So yeah. so we'll, we'll we'll get people can um and listen. You don't have to be an Aberdeen supporter to enjoy this. You just need to be a, a football fan. Um it's absolutely true. I mean, Can I I, ask I Ali, mean sorry. Who did your illustrations in the book?
1: Uh, so the so his name is Dolly Digital. So most Aberdeen fans will know Dolly on Twitter. And Dolly does all the animations for Aberdeen Football Club's match day program. So just through making the natural connection through that, got in touch with Mark one night and said to him, look, how'd you fancy a wee project? And Mark was absolutely thrilled. Mm. And uh, yeah, he gave us a load of different ideas. And eventually we settled on the ones that are now in the book. And I'm absolutely over the moon with Mm. what what he came up with, because I think it's just, again, added to the depth of the book. So Dolly Digital is his
0: name. Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen a lot of dollys work and yeah, it's excellent yeah. stuff. Excellent stuff. He's a good lad. Yeah. Talented boy. So there we go. Is it is it available in soft and softback as well, is it just hardback? So just hardback at the moment.
1: So what we're gonna do if we're fortunate enough where we might have to do a reprint, then we'll do we'll do it that way. Mm-hmm. But at the moment it's just in hardback.
0: Okay, just in time for Christmas as well. So yeah, highly exactly. recommended. There we go european aberdeen european knights get Thanks, it Andy. get it bought listen thank you very much and then um, look forward to the the martin bucking blog as well we will really looking forward to that and Always. good luck with the the new role covering aberdeen as well that, that's nice. that's yet, yet another dream come true for you no doubt i know i know it's unbelievable <laughs> you know I, I did this just very
1: quickly i did the show last week uh when aberdeen beat hearts and um, you know Ewan Cameron is the, one of the co-hosts and Ewan and I always like to have a really good laugh and he, he said to me you're supposed to be unbiased you're supposed to be reporting <laughs> professionally from these games and I'm going no I'm not no I'm really really not everybody knows I'm an Aberdeen fan everybody knows Aberdeen is my passion and there will be no unbiased thoughts on
0: today's game <laughs> Brilliant listen you take care and, and you guys thank you so thank much thank you for having thanks, no, listen it's an absolute pleasure and um, we'll speak to you again soon Definitely. Take care, guys. Cheers, Ali. The charity partner this season is the West Bartonshire Community Food Share. This is a charitable organisation that provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. A school uniform bank, school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons, and a baby bank. They provide essential support to the local community in supporting individuals and families, and we will be looking to support them in any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money, and support in the form of volunteers. We will also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do, but also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are aware of these vital services. You can follow them on the West Dunbartonshire Community Food Share group on Facebook or West Dunbartonshire Community Food Share. Dot .co.uk dot for the website and that's West Dunbartonshire with an N. You can also donate through our Just Giving page for the charity at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash shoot the breeze one word. Also keep an eye on our Twitter accounts at shoottb underscore podcast and at Scott's Footy cards for updates and news on our charity partner. We'd like to say a special thank you to Pete Wiley of The Mighty Wah for the use of the story of the blues in the music for our show. You can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk where you can check out the details of upcoming gigs and new music. We'd also like to thank our producer Diane Jarden for her great work and support on the podcast. Please check out transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clybank. please follow us on twitter at shoottb_podcast you can get us on youtube and in your favorite podcast app by searching for shoot the breeze for now thanks to tom for being tom and for you for listening until the next time let's shoot the breeze